All right, why don't I pray for us? We'll try to transition into the message for the day. Father, thanks so much for your goodness, for your love, for ah, just your presence here in our midst. Thanks that we can worship you and we, that you invite us to, to crawl up onto your lap and to call you daddy, that we can call the God, the king of the universe, the creator, our father and our friends and our savior. Lord, you're so good to us. And I pray that you just uh, lead and guide um, us now, God, as we look into your word, as we talk about your church, um, pray that pray just for your spirit to come and minister and lead and speak and do what only you can do. We love you. We offer this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are on week number three of a series we've been doing here tonight called I Believe in God, but dot, dot, dot. And we've been talking about some of those things in our lives that uh, sometimes are stumbling blocks for us. Sometimes things that we wrestle with that keep us from experiencing the kind of life that God has for us. Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about faith and doubt. I believe in God, but sometimes I doubt. We had a real conversation uh, about what real faith looks like. And it's not always neatly packaged like we think. It's not, not always neat and tidy. Uh, last week, we talked about I believe in God, but I just want to have fun, right? And so we talked about joy and talked about what real joy looks like in the joy that, uh, in, the, in the life that God has for us in the midst of that. Today, I want to talk about a topic... Uh, a little bit different, but it's, I believe in God, but not his church, right? Not the church. And I have to say, I, I don't know about you, but I hear this kind of thing all the time. And to some degree, I understand, right? I mean, I think there's so often there's been uh, hurt or pain or letdowns or whatever else that, uh, that leads us to sort of, it kind of shakes us at our core. We end up saying, I don't know. I don't know what I think about this whole idea about church. I remember uh, talking with my dad a number of years ago about this. When he and my mom were first married, they lived in a kind of on the edge of a little town, Geneseo, Illinois. Anybody know Geneseo? So the thriving metropolis. But uh, they lived on the, the edge. There was a little kind of um, kind of uh, church that was for their almost like for their neighborhood, just like a little community church there on the edge of town. And uh, they got involved right away. My dad used to teach Sunday school there. Uh, they they went, I mean, they were they were living in community with each other. They did stuff with the other families. They, they did stuff with the pastor and his wife. They were uh, in, intimately involved in the life of the church. They were kind of starting to come alive in their faith and in, in, in their walk with God and that kind of thing. And uh, let me fast forward from there a couple of years. The pastor ends up having an affair with one of the congregants, ends up lying about it, and is dismissed. My dad didn't step foot inside another church for two or three decades. His, he he kind of pushed back far from that. And to be honest, uh, when I was growing up, I, I, uh, I didn't even think he believed in God. And I can remember, uh, I came to Christ in college, and I can remember not long after that, kind of sharing with my dad the gospel, the good news about Jesus, sharing some of my story and how Christ had come in and, and transformed me. And I, I kind of asked him and said, well, what do you think about Jesus? Where are you at with Jesus? And his response was this. He's like, I don't have a problem with Jesus, just the church. And I'm like, you know what? I think there's a lot of people out there these days that get that, right? They're disillusioned, they're hurt by the church. It happens to you, right? It's happened to many of you. You know what? You might find this surprising, but even as a pastor, it happens to me, right? Sometimes it happens to my family. Sometimes I get it. I mean, maybe some church leader or church attender pridefully confronted you about a sin in your life or a situation that they didn't approve of, and they came down on you with wrath and judgment and hate, and you are rocked back, and you're like, I don't need this, right? And you're like, I, I, I don't have a problem with Jesus, but I'm not so sure about the church. 
Or maybe there was somebody that you respected, a church leader, a pastor, a priest, or something like that that you looked up to and you sort of idolized. You had them on a little pedestal of sorts, and they came tumbling down. And it could be, uh, like, I, like I mentioned, could have been an affair or something. Could have been they were caught lying. It could be they're cooking the books or who knows, all kinds of things. And it left you sort of rocked back, and you thought, I don't know. I mean, I might believe in Jesus, but I'm not so sure about the church. <coughs> Maybe uh, you've been around or you've uh, followed enough people on Facebook to know that there's some religious people out there that are just mean, right? That are just hateful. And the stuff that comes out of their mouths or out of their thumbs, I guess that is, or whatever, right? Whatever. But the stuff that you see on Facebook, you look at it, you're like, man, if that's what it looks like to be, I'm not so sure about the church. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. But, but what in the world is that about? I think there's a lot of people in our culture uh, that, 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 that sort of can sort of agree with Gandhi when he speaks about Christians. He says, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. And I'm like, man, I think there's a lot of resonance in our culture right now. A lot of resonance about that in our world. A few years back, and I can understand why, right? I mean, some of them, I think, uh, some of the, the, the reason there is they could be right. <laughs> I remember, I remember uh, reading a book a number of years ago, ago called Unchristian, which presents the findings of a five-year research study from the Barna Research Group on the whole topic of Christianity and how it's viewed by our culture and by our world. And I have to say, it kind of rocked me. The findings uh, are shocking. I want to share a few of them with you. Don't, don't put it up yet, Anthony. Hold on. Um, National survey was done, again, over five years, and they found the three most common perceptions of present-day Christianity, of the church, of present-day Christians in our world. Anybody want to take a guess? Again, don't put it up yet. Anyone want to take a guess at what people's perception was of the church? Hypocrites. What else we got? Judgmental. That's two for three. Want your money? That one isn't in the top three, but it's close. What else? Put up, put up the other one. Put, put it up here. Number one is anti-homosexual. 91% of those outside the church, that was their primary thought when they thought of the church. They thought they hate gay people. That's what they thought. The second one is they're judgmental. And the third one is they're a bunch of hypocrites. Look at that. 85%. Hypocrites. 87% judgmental. In fact, only 16% of those outside the church had sort of any kind of a favorable picture of what the church really was. Isn't that jaw-dropping? It's crazy-making to look at that kind of stuff. Even those that, that had a favorable picture of evangelical, by the way, was only 3%. Tiny, tiny percentage. Is it surprising then that the number of people in churches on Sunday mornings is in decline? Is that surprising? When this is the picture of what church is? Not at all. Currently in Illinois, only, they say on any given weekend, on any average weekend, only 18% of the population is in any Christian church, any Catholic, Lutheran, Baptist, Pentecostal, anything, uh, any Christian church, only 18% of the population, and that those numbers are declining uh, every decade. By the time we hit 2050, it's estimated that we'll be in single digits uh, of pe- percentage of the population in, in any Christian church. And is it any wonder? I mean, when we have given people these kinds of pictures of what the, of church and of Christianity, so much so that our country and our world is okay with Jesus but dislikes the church. 
So today I just want to lean into this whole topic a little bit. I want to talk a little bit uh, about that. I want to debunk a couple of myths if I can at the beginning. And then I want to talk about from, the, from a biblical perspective. So in the midst of all this dysfunction and all this mess and all this hurt and some of these uh, misperceptions of, of what the church is meant to be and how we interact with the world around us. In the midst of all of that, I want us to kind of step back and say, man, why, why is it from a biblical perspective, why is it that the church seems to be such a big deal to God? What was his dream for it in the first place? And how do we step into it? All right. So that's kind of where we're going today. I'm going to start out with just uh, kind of a couple misperceptions. I'll state them in the positive, but then I'll get at some of the negative of, of the misperception. We'll kind of walk through this, go flying through some of these. First one is this. Uh, Jesus is the founder of the church. I mean, sometimes I think it's easy for us to think that churches are a man-made creation. You'll hear people say that. I'm, I'm okay with Jesus, but I'm not into man-made religion. And they're talking about the church. They're like, that's just, that's just people stuff. That's just stuff that the people have come up with. And I have to say, nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus is the founder, the leader, and the savior of his church. It was, it was his dream. It was his vision. He gave his life for the church. Listen to a couple of these scriptures. Matthew 16, 18 says, that, says this way. He's, he, there's this whole interaction between Jesus and Peter, and, and Peter for the first time is getting a glimpse of who Jesus really is. He says, you're the Christ. You're the Son of God, right? You're the Savior. You're the Messiah. And Jesus says, blessed are you. And then he goes in to, to, to say this to Peter. He says, and I tell you that you are Peter. And it means rock, right? His name means rock. He's kind of renaming him. And on this rock, he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Again, quick little snapshot. Who does he say will build his church? Who's I? He's saying, Jesus is saying, I will build my church. It's my church, and I am the one that builds it. I am the builder of the church, and I'm going to build the church in such a way that not even the gates of hell, not even the gates of death is what it literally means, will be able to withstand it. I will build a prevailing church. Listen to this one. Ephesians 5 says this. We looked at this a couple, couple uh, a month or two ago when we were doing the marriage series, but I want you to look at the Jesus part of it instead of the husbands and wives part, right? Look, listen to this. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ, what is that next word? Loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or without wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. How does Christ feel about his church? He loves the church. He loves her so much that he gave himself up for her to create a radiant church, he says, without stain or wrinkle or blemish. A couple more. Colossians uh, 1.18 uh, says this, And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. And Ephesians 1 says something similar. God placed all things under Christ's feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Can we kind of back up and just say, you know what? It's Christ's church. It's Jesus' church. It's not a man-made deal. It's God-made. God, Christ made it, right? It's, he started it. He leads it still. He's the savior of it. He died for this church, and it's a big deal to him. He even says he loves it. Therefore, can I just hit pause for one second and just say, therefore, as a Christ follower... Can you, as, as, someone, some, as people that espouse to say, I follow Jesus, he is my God, he is my Lord, how can we hate 
something that he loves? How can we dismiss or put down or push to the side something that Jesus says, I care so much about that I gave my life for it? Maybe not it, but her, right? I gave my life for her. It's a big deal to God. It's a big deal to Jesus. And therefore, it needs to be a big deal to us. He's the founder. He's the leader. He's the savior. And it's what he calls you and I to be a part of. Little little snippet, if I can use this term. Do you ever think about the fact that the church is the only organization, if I can use that term, the church is the only organization that will last forever? Isn't that crazy? It's the only thing that we can invest in now that will continue to, to have dividends and payouts later. It's crazy. It's the only thing that will last. Second sort of misconception that I just want to debunk for a second is every Christ follower is the church. And I put underneath, you're part of the problem. <laughs> right? Kind of thing. If you have put your faith in Christ then you are the church, right? The church isn't a building. It's, we know this, right? It's, it's not just a service that happens on Sunday morning. The church, according to the Bible, refers to a movement of sinful, messed up people, kind of like us, right? A, 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 a sinful, messed up group of people that have decided that, you know what? I am not okay on my own. I'm a wreck. And we've decided that we are in need of a savior a Savior that loves us, a Savior that died for us, who, who offers grace and forgiveness, offers to adopt us into his family, and on and on and on, a Savior named Jesus. The church is a movement of sinful, broken, hurting people that, that claim Jesus as their Savior and say, you know what? He, is, he has rescued me. He has saved me from my sin. He's paid the price for it. And as a result, I want to worship him and love him and follow him all the days of my life. That's the church. We are the church, and, and that's both, got both po- positives and negatives. On the one hand, I mean, to say you are the church and I am the church, you are both, both things, both of these are true. You are both a glorious representation of the, the transforming work of Jesus in our world. He's, he is, through you, he is putting on a clinic to those around you of what he can do in somebody's life, of the, of the transformation, of the, of the night and day difference that he can make in your life. So you are both uh, part of the solution and part of the beauty of the church, and also you're part of the problem, and I am part of the problem, right? Because there's sin that happens in us. Anybody here ever struggle with sin? Yeah, no, yeah. For those of you that aren't, aren't uh, raising your hands, you're liars, right? I mean, that's, that's sin, right? But this, all of us struggle with sin. We are contributors to the mess of the church, aren't we? We're contributors. I'm a part of the mess, and you're part of the mess. Every person in the church, to some degree, is a hypocrite. But we're fighting words. But think about it. Think about it. To some degree, that's the point. Right? To some degree, that's the point. You're a part of the problem, and so am I. I'm not excusing it. I'm not making light of the fact that we sin on one another and sometimes say or do hurtful or harmful things. Sometimes we do it intentionally. Sometimes we do it unintentionally. We hurt one another. But I'm saying in some ways that's the point. The core message of Christianity is not that I'm all sparkly and clean and perfect. In fact, the opposite is true, right? Tim Keller, he's got such a way with words, but Tim Keller puts it this way. I think it's great. He says the gospel is this. Two things he holds in tension. One, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. 
And at the same, very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Isn't that true? Love that. The church is exactly what I would expect to find. It's a bunch of sinful, messed up human beings that have experienced the love and the grace poured out in Jesus and are are learning day by day to walk in his ways. Does that mean we're all perfect and sparkly? No. Does that mean that we are 100% done with sin and I will will never walk in sin again? (laughs) Is that what that means? You're like, well, I don't know, you are a pastor. No, trust me, right? Like, no, that's, that, that's not a reality. But we're learning to walk with Jesus. We're, we're dependent on his grace and his love and his forgiveness because we screw up day after day after day after day. And he forgives us. He pulls us up under his arm, right? He says, come and walk with me. Come and follow me. Come and do life with me and let me show you how you're meant to live. We're both a part of the problem and, and we, we are a, a snapshot of God's glorious plan for humanity, of what he's doing in us day after day after day. I love the way first, and again, I don't mean this as an excuse, but I do think it should drive humility in us. When we, when we are hurt by somebody, it's easy for us to get all haughty and us to be like, well, I'm up here and they're down there. I would never do such a thing. You know, like I would never do that to you. But at the same time, I think all of us have to remember what the gospel says, what the truth says. It says, you know what? The truth is I may not have done that, but I, I've done plenty of stuff. And we hurt one another and we sin on one another. And, and so it, it breeds sort of a humility and a grace in us towards each other, doesn't it? We're like, man, I'm sorry. I, I blew it. I love uh, Paul says this. He's kind of teaching the church and teaching his young, young apprentice Timothy uh, about kind of the heart of this and how to, how to live this stuff out. He says this. Go to that next slide if you would. 1 Timothy 1, 15 through 17. Paul says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. He's saying, this is a saying that should be coming out of your mouth regularly. This should be going through your heart regularly. You should think this way, he's saying. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners Amen. of whom I am the worst. He's like, you want to have an attitude? Choose this attitude. Christ Jesus came in to the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, he says, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who believe in him and receive eternal life. And he ends by, he can't help but overflow into praise on this. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen, he says. You know why he busts out in that? Because it's not about us. We contribute mess to the deal. Jesus contributes grace. He contributes power and love. He's the one that's bringing about transformation. He's the one raising up his church and sifting and taking off the rough edges and working in our hearts and removing sin and convicting us and on and on so that we become more like him. We are being put on display as an example of God's great patience and love and grace as we walk with him. Right? It's not about our perfection. It's about his perfection. It's where the good stuff comes from. Well, let's, let's go ahead and jump into the why. Why uh, the church matters. Why it's such a huge deal. Why you and I need to be, be the church together. 
a quick little Greek lesson, right? So that's always important when you come to church. But the word that gets used in the New Testament for church is the Greek word. It's ekklesia. It's kind of fun to say. Say ekklesia. Ekklesia is the word that gets translated church, but literally it means a gathering, an assembly, a community, or one of my personal favorites, the called out ones. When we come to Christ, we are adopted into his family. It's the church. We're put into local gatherings or communities of believers. And we are made to be in relationship and community with Christ and with other Christ followers. It's by God's design. It's how we live out the gospel, how the gospel gets worked through our own lives and our own souls and our own families. It's where we experience and become more and more of who who you and I are created to be. When we live in right relationship with God, of course, first and foremost, but then also live in that right relationship with other Christ followers. And when we live in right relationship with the church, there's several things that happen. I'm going to talk about three uh, real quickly if I can. The first one is this, and this is, again, why it matters. The first one is as we sort of live our lives in right relationships with other Christ followers, God brings growth and healing. I found it interesting over the past uh, number of years. I've been in ministry over 20 years I found it interesting that most often real spiritual growth and healing comes in the context of God's community, the church. We'd like to think that, you know, we can just grow up on our own, that we can go lock ourselves away, read a whole bunch of books, and it will come out of, come out of that, that room like just, I am now a mature Christian. Let it be known, right? Like I have, I have arrived and I am all these things. But that's typically, that's not how it works. We can learn information in isolation, but we experience transformation in community. Amen. Right? That's, that's how it happens. That's how it works. Uh, I've seen it again and again and again. We grow. We come to life. We are transformed in the church, in community, in, in, in loving relationships with other Christ followers. God heals us. He brings us to life. In Ephesians 4, God paints a picture for us of the kind of relationships that we're meant to experience in the church. And part of the picture is he's, he's saying it's, it's, a, it's a community where each person is both contributing and receiving, where they're giving and they're receiving both. They're using uh, who God has made them to be, their spiritual gifts and talents and abilities to serve and to build up one another. And on and on. At the same time, they're being served by others that are using their gifts. And when that happens, I just think that the language is interesting. When that happens, growth and maturity and Christ-likeness always come about. Listen to this, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. It was he, want to take a crack at who he is? Yeah, it was he who gave some to be apostles. He's wired some up to do that, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. He says, four, right, to prepare God's people for works of service. Listen to this. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. He says, then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. He's saying, then we'll no longer be deceived by by lies and just the, the junk of the enemy. Instead, he says, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head. That's Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. When we turn to God, 
and then towards one another in loving relationships. When we live in community as in the church, we grow and we become like Jesus. Spiritual growth happens in community. It doesn't happen in isolation. It happens in the church. James 5.16 puts it this way. He says, says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. It's interesting. What does he say? He says, confess your sins to whom? And pray for each other. This isn't just me and Jesus. Just the two of us are fine. He's saying, no, it's in the context of community, which when we're talking about Christian community, it's the church, right? He's saying it's in the context of community that we pray for each other. We confess our sins to each other. And God brings healing. God does a work. He brings transformation to our lives. Can I just stop for, for a second and just make a comment? Man, I see this happen again and again and again and again in the church and just in the world we live in in general. The people start going through a rough era and they're struggling. They might be struggling with, with doubt or depression or anxiety or hopelessness. So maybe something horrible is going on and their, their natural knee-jerk reaction and tendency, and I get it, I think it is for all of us, is to withdraw from community. We sort of go, we kind of withdraw into ourselves. We kind of go into hiding. We might still, we may or may not still show up to church on Sunday morning but we've kind of cut ourselves off from relationship and from, right, the other believers. And and can I just say, when we do that, we do it to our detriment. I've seen it happen again and again where people just get stuck in a downward spiral and they can't get out because they're trying to do it on their own. And I get that it's vulnerable and it's hard and whatever, but there is never a time when we need community more. It's, it's, it's in those moments that we need somebody to be the church to us and for us, right? People to gather around us and pray for us and point us back to Christ and encourage us and even just walk with us, even if there's no answers, because there's some things that there just aren't answers for, right? And just to say, man, I'm praying with you and I'm walking with you and I care about you. It's, it's so tempting to withdraw and you have to say, man, it's especially in those moments when we need each other. You with me? All right. Second thing, right, as we, as we sort of enter into an experience and live uh, our lives in community with one another in the church, uh, second thing is we experience God's presence and his love in, in sort of a special way. This is interesting to me. Matthew 18, 20, this is just one place. There's several that, that talk about. This is Jesus talking. He says, for where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Now, here's my question. Is Christ with you when you're by yourself? But there's something significant. It shows up in several of the Gospels where, where two or more are gathered, where two or three are gathered, where there's something significant that happens in the context of community where we see and experience and know Christ more fully than we do on our own. There's something about it. I, I can't quite explain it. I don't quite get it, but it's true. I think probably many of us around the room have experienced it. There's something powerful when believers gather together to worship, to pray, to fellowship, to whatever. Jesus shows up in a powerful way. We come to see and know him more in the context of community. Listen to this, First John 4, 12. says, if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Now, again, if we love who? One another. another. That's hard to do on your own, isn't it? If we love one another, he says, his love is made complete in us. There's something powerful about the work of Christ and his love being completed in us in the context of community, in the context of learning to love one another. 
When God talks about his people in the Bible, one of the images he uses most, and we've already read it a couple of times, is the body of Christ, right? We're, we're like the body of Christ. He's like the head. Uh, and it's a great image. He, he uses, you know, kind of illustrations to kind of say we're kind of like the hands or the feet or the whatever of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And for so many of us, I think we can read about God's love. We can hear it preached about, but we need to see it and receive it practically and tangibly, even physically, before we believe it. It's sort of like we need Jesus with skin on. We need part of the body of Christ to put an arm around us before we can really get that he loves us. You know, we need to experience it through one another to help us understand more fully who Jesus really is. Certainly that was the case for me. I can remember back in college, I had a, uh, a group of four other guys. So there was five of us total. We met together uh, once or twice a week um, just for kind of discipleship, for prayer, for Bible study, for worship, that kind of stuff. We'd go in uh, one night a week uh, after the church was gone. And they, let us, they let five college guys invade their church. It was a big church. Invade their church, and they'd leave us in there, locked in, and everybody would leave. It was awesome. <laughs> like we were wandering around this huge church, but anyway, that's a different story. But uh, we, would, we would stay until sometimes 2 or 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, worshiping and reading the word together. We'd hold each other accountable. Uh, we would uh, share about what's happening in our lives. I can remember tears uh, flowing, which is an unusual thing for a bunch of college guys, right? I can remember God convicting uh, us in different moments. Each one of those guys could look back and say, the course of my life was altered in those times together. But you know what? It didn't happen just me and Jesus. It happened we and Jesus. It was in those moments, to be honest, it was the first time that I think I've, I, I really understood love. These guys cared about me. They loved me in a way that was unlike anything I had ever seen or experienced before. I grew up much more with a transactional kind of love. Like, if you do what I want you to do, then I will love you sort of approach. It wasn't meant that way, but that's how it was received and lived. It was sort of a transact. Like, if you don't do this, then your relationship was called into question. It was the first time in my life that I got a glimpse of unconditional love. Sometimes I'd come in, I'd be crabby, I'd snap at somebody, or I'd get mad, or we'd have a riff or whatever, and you know what? They loved me anyway. They loved me when I was doing well. They loved me when I wasn't doing well. They loved me when I was confessing sin. They'd be like, I totally screwed up this week, and I blew it. It was the first time I, as we kind of started meeting, as we got, kept going throughout the year, it was the first time that I kind of stood back and said, maybe God does really care about me like that. Maybe he does. Maybe he not just loves me because he's supposed to, but maybe, maybe he's fond of me. Maybe he delights in me in different moments. It totally changed the course of my life. And that's what ha- it happens in the context of community. There's something powerful when we come to experience the fullness of Christ's love for us in a different way. We come to see and know his, his presence with us in a more powerful way than we do on our own. Third one is this. I'll just do it quickly. As we live in these uh, Christ-honoring relationships in the church, his mission moves forward. I thought this was interesting. John 13, 34 and 35, again, Jesus talking here. He says, a new command I give you, he says to his followers, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, he says, by the way you love one another, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Isn't that interesting? It's in the context of, of Christian community, of our relationships with one another. He says, man, I am going to 
fill you with such amazing love. And, and the quality of your relationships in the church, you don't know what's going to happen. They're going to be so radically different. The kind of love that you experience with one another is going to be so drastically different than the rest of our culture that everybody around you is going to be like, they're disciples of Jesus. They are the one, they're followers of Christ. That, it, that must be the difference maker. You see it? The mission moves forward in the context of community. If, certainly we see this in the early church in Acts 2. Uh, this is what it says about that. It just describes like the first church, the earliest church uh, after Jesus uh, was raised from the dead, eventually returned to heaven. This happens right after that. This, it says this, they, the early church, early Christ followers devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship to one another to the breaking of bread into prayer everybody was filled with awe uh, <clears throat> at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles God did amazing things in their midst all the believers were together they had everything in common they sold property possessions and gave to anybody who had need every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Listen to this. It's almost like an afterthought. And in the midst of that kind of community, those kinds of relationships, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. As the church worshipped, as the church grew, as the church served, as the church was committed to relationship with one another, as they gave, right? As they lived in loving community, you know what happened? The Lord added to the number every day, those who were being saved. People found Jesus. Disciples got made. Lives were transformed. The poor got cared for. People grew up in Christ. It's what happens when we embrace uh, community. We embrace the church and we live out our part. We invest and we pour ourselves into it. As we serve and love and give and care, the mission of Jesus marches forward. You know what, friends? Despite the shortcomings, despite the failures of the church, Despite the sin and the hurt that sometimes leaks out of it, despite the ways that you and I may have been wounded in the past, or despite how strongly we may believe that we're just fine on our own, just me and Jesus, despite all of that kind of stuff, which is just to remind you what we've covered today, Christ has made the church. He founded it. And he died for it so that you and I could come and be a part of his family, his community, his people, his church. He has specifically placed you and me inside the local church because we need it. We need it desperately. And we need not only to receive from it, but we need to give towards it so that we can experience and come to know his great presence, his amazing love and his grace. He placed you here so that you and I could grow towards maturity, so that we could come alive in our faith, so that we could experience and find healing and restoration from your past and from your brokenness. He wants to do something amazing in your life. He wants to do something incredible in your marriage and family, something that can only happen in the context of ecclesia and only in the context of the community, the church, the gathering. And in the midst of that, he wants to use you and he wants to use me. He wants to use the church to move his mission forward in our world, in a world that desperately needs Jesus. I'm not sure what kind of application God might have for you today. I mean, maybe you're here and you've all but given up on church. You've gone through a rough patch. You're like, man, I don't know. I don't know if I want to risk it again. I'm not sure. But maybe today God is just reminding you through his word and just, just nudging you again saying, you know what? It's the church. It's got its faults. It's got its flaws. It's got ways that we've sort of screwed it up. 
but it's still God's redemptive community, and it's worth it. Maybe God's just nudging you, saying, man, don't give up on the church. The church is the representatives of Jesus in this world. The church is the, is the place of transformation, the place of hope, the place where Christ's presence dwells in probably the fullest way. But we see and experience his love and his presence more and more. It's where the good stuff is at. I'll tell you what, some of us are tempted to, to, to unplug, but I think God is pushing us the other way, saying, man, we need it. We need to step into community. If you're looking for ways to do that, we always encourage people to do a couple of uh, different things. The first one, growth groups. We just we have four different growth groups that just started in the last week. It's not too late to jump in. If you're looking for a place to say, I'd like to kind of grow and take the next step in uh, stepping into the community of believers and kind of growing in my faith that way, uh, you could, I'd encourage you to take your communication card on your program and kind of mark on there, hey, I'm interested in getting plugged into a growth group. I'll try and get you information on it today. The other, the other kind of primary way that we encourage people is service, right? Getting plugged into a serving team and with some other Christ followers. It's a great way to kind of take the next step and to contribute and invest in the local church. And if you're interested in kind of finding some ways that you can make a meaningful contribution uh, to the mission of Jesus in the, in the context of the local church, I'd love to talk with you. Uh, you can mark on your communication card, I'm interested in serving, or uh, I'd love to grab coffee with Pastor Russ. I'd love to sit down with you and dream and uh, get to know you a little bit better. Some of us here today might be struggling. Maybe we're feeling a little withdrawn or isolated from community these days. Maybe you're getting kicked around by depression or guilt or fear or discouragement or whatever. And maybe today God's just nudging you and saying, you know, I know you've been hurt, but would you just crack the door a little bit to another Christ, a safe Christ follower, somebody that you can trust. Maybe even before you leave here today, maybe you need to come up to me or one of the other leaders and just say, you know what, I'm struggling with something. Let us be the church for you. Let us come around you and pray for you and encourage you. We don't always have the right words, right? But uh, we, can, we can pray and encourage and lift you up before Jesus and, and minister to you. We would find, it would be a privilege for us to do so. So uh, if that's something we can do for you, we'd love to, to serve you in that way this morning. Or maybe the last application step, maybe today uh, God is nudging you to be the church, right? To live out the mission. Maybe there's... Uh, Somebody in your sphere that's, maybe they're a believer, maybe they're not, I don't know, but maybe they're unplugged from a local church community. Maybe they just are floundering, don't have a spot. Maybe this week God will nudge you to, to invite them to come and join us. Next week, next week we're going to continue our series by, by talking about, I believe in God, but I'm not so sure about the Bible. So we're going to talk about the reliability of scripture and some of that kind of stuff. It'll be a great one for virtually anyone. But... Uh, Maybe that's it. Maybe this week as you go throughout your week, maybe God will be nudging you to minister or to pray or to encourage somebody else to actually go out and be the church wherever you are this week. Well, I don't know how God's nudging you, but my, my hope and my desire is that all of us would be stepping forward, building our lives in this kind of God-honoring community. When we hurt each other, to be quick and humble, to come to each other and say, man, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? And vice versa. But then we'd be quick to re-engage and move forward. Let's close in prayer. God, that's our cry this morning. Lord, forgive us. I'm, we're part of the mess as well. Forgive us for the sin that trickles in, for the discouragement, the ways we hurt each other. And God, I pray here, here at Ignite, God, I pray that we, as Christ followers, that you would teach us how to live in this new kind of community, the church. How
how we could experience your love and your presence in powerful ways, how we could be filled up and used as part of your redemptive plan to reach this world and to bring your kingdom here in power. I don't know, pray that you'd bring healing and freedom as we take steps. Lord, give us boldness and courage to step into community, to, to, to risk it again, opening ourselves up to relationships, to, to risk opening ourselves up um, to, to, to being the church and not just uh, coming to church or going to a church building. God, would you come and fill us? Would you come and transform us? Would you come and raise up a beautiful, biblically functioning community? Would you come and raise up just a, a showcase of what you can do in, in our lives, of your goodness and your grace and your love and your power. We need you, God. We love you. We offer ourselves to you fresh this morning.